On Pop Fiction Women, we explore what it means to be a complicated woman. Tired of endless variations of leading men next to one-dimensional archetypes of women, or strong female leads written by men that were essentially guys in women's bodies. We started this show to highlight the many female characters in entertainment worth exploring, as well as the women who dreamt them up. And now we're adding those creators to our conversations, discussing their process and passion in bringing these women to life. Welcome to Complicated Conversations. On these episodes, there's no spoilers. So come on, it's starting. On this episode of Complicated Conversations, we welcome Rebecca Mackay. Rebecca is the award-winning author of five books, including The Great Believers, which was a finalist for both the Pulitzer Prize and the National Book Award. It was the winner of the Andrew Carnegie Medal for Excellence in Fiction and the Stonewall Book Award and the Clark Prize and the LA Times Book Prize. It was one of the New York Times 10 Best Books of 2018. A 2022 Guggenheim Fellow, Rebecca is on the MFA faculties of the University of Nevada, Reno at Lake Tahoe and Northwestern University and is Artistic Director of Story Studio Chicago. Welcome, Rebecca. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Appreciate it. So your fifth novel, I Have Some Questions for You, is out now, and we certainly have some questions for you uh, ourselves, but first, why don't you uh, give our listeners a little bit of the elevator pitch for this novel? Yeah, Um, I've been describing it, I mean, kind of tongue-in-cheek as a literary feminist boarding school murder mystery, Um, which it is. Uh, it is. <laughs> but um, yeah, basically, um, we have a woman, Bodie Kane, who is in her 40s. She returns just for two weeks to the boarding school that she attended in the 90s in order to teach a class. Uh, while she's there, uh, it starts to really eat away at her that the murder of her junior year, which has been solved and someone's in prison for it, uh, might not have been solved correctly. And the book goes from there. That so is a, such a great hook. Yeah. And we really like to unpack complicated women on this podcast. And Bodhi is our kind of woman for sure. She has a devastating past, a complicated present, and she's got many victories along the way, big and small. So she's got every facet of her self kind of developed in this book. So tell us about Bodhi, how she came to you, what challenges you had when you were writing her, um, inspirations, anything you want to tell us about her? Yeah. So, you know, this this is going to make me sound a little uh, psychotic, but um, I, t- okay, so, you know, a lot of, a lot of people do start with um, character and they say like the character just came to me. I start with plot and setting circumstance and then I kind of reverse engineer my perfect victim Ah. Um, that's the part that doesn't make me sound very good but (laughs) like basically what I mean is I have a scenario I have a plot and I'm looking backward from there at who is the person who'd be the most vulnerable to these circumstances the most susceptible to change who stands to learn the most or lose the most from this you think about Shakespeare writing Hamlet the plot of Hamlet doesn't work on someone else. It doesn't work on someone who's like brash and action oriented. It works on this guy who can't take action and thinks too much. Um, You've got to, right. You've got to go back and then find the perfect person. So in this case, 
she's someone who, uh, she's really successful as an adult, but as a student, she really felt like an outsider as all of us do, um, really was at sea as a kid. Um, and when she, when she steps back onto this campus, she finds herself somewhere in between those two. And that's really unsettling place to be. Yeah. In between she is that in a lot of ways in her personal life, professional life in this moment, um, kind of stepping back into this old life of hers. Do you think part of that is what allows her to have a different vision of what happened in the past? Yeah. 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 You know, I think um, she's right. You know, when she was going along living her life, being happy, she did not give a lot of thought to this thing that had happened in 1995. Um, she wasn't close to this roommate. This is the girl she'd lived with for part of the previous year. And the case was solved, it seemed. So it's just not on her mind. Yeah. And then when she's back there, um, of course, the case is on her mind again. She also starts to think a lot about um, a teacher who uh, she thought was great at the time. But in retrospect, she is realizing acted very inappropriately including toward Thalia Keith, her roommate who then died. And, you know, it just, it throws her off kilter, but it it also opens her up yeah. to yeah. the possibility that things might not have been as, she's, as everyone saw. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to talk about the um, narrative structure of this novel, which is really ambitious, mm-hmm. I think, and but works so well. Uh, you flip between Bodhi's contemporary experience at Granby now, as you said, when she goes back there to teach the class, uh, her memories of attending high school there. And at times it's addressed, which I love, to someone she suspects is involved in Talia's murder. That's the you mm-hmm. that she's asking these mm-hmm. questions of. And then we also have her kind of following these leads of her imagination of like maybe who else could have done it. Um, so it's really woven together so well. I mean, did you decide on the structure ahead of time or at what yeah. point did you know really that you're going to weave <laughs> yeah, it Yeah, you say way? you start with plot, but the structure yeah. is plot and character and it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't yeah. just appear. <laughs> no, it does not. And it's not, you know, it's the kind of thing you can sort of plan early on, but you have no idea what you're going to need. Originally, so the... Uh, this isn't giving too much away. The last quarter of the book, we skip ahead a few years, and a lot of people have kind of reconvened for a legal proceeding. That's what I'll say. Yeah. yeah. And they're all having, you know, it's, it's a small town in New Hampshire. Even the county seat is a small place. They're all from out of town. They all have to stay in the same hotel. That was my original idea for the whole book. I wanted like the world's worst high school reunion. Everyone's trapped in a hotel for a legal proceeding. They can't really talk to each other because they're sequestered, but everyone suspects each other. Um, And that's what I started writing. Uh, The first things I wrote that that are in the book are of Bodhi arriving at this hotel with her luggage. But then you course correct, because from there I go, well, I have so much backstory to get in. I have to let you know everything that happened in the 90s, but also everything that happened recently to get us to this point. And God, that's a lot of... And then what what has Bodhi's life been? 
it's, it's a lot. So I thought I'll back up a little bit, you know, I'll give sort of just a couple chapters from a few years previously. <laughs> a prologue, right? And that prologue turned into <laughs> three quarters of the book. Uh, it's, it's not like all in italics as a prologue. Nobody out there worry. It really, it's, no, it really no. doesn't read that way anymore. No, not at all. But um, yeah, you know, the structure surprised me because that wasn't the thing that I thought I was going to write. And then with the second person, since you brought that up, mm-hmm. you know what's funny is I don't remember. I don't remember making this decision. Wow. I, I started this novel... I was staying at the Ragdale Foundation near Chicago, which is an artist residency. You go for two or three weeks and you really get in the zone, like not in a trance or anything, but you're really just in it. And at some point in those two or three weeks, I made this decision to try this second person kind of, it's first person novel, right? But this direct address and it worked. And I don't remember why I tried it. I just know why I kept it, which is that it worked for me. It allowed me to channel her anger, her memories in a certain direction. Yeah. And it also gives so much of an element of suspense. Who is she mm-hmm. talking to? What, you know, And even though we find out pretty mm-hmm. early on who she's speaking to, we still like, what capacity yeah. is she talking to her? I have never read a, a book that every chapter is the cliffhanger and it's but it's a literary novel and it's, it mm. reads, and you're saying a literary thriller, which it absolutely is, but you really mm-hmm. did both so well. And that was one of the, the elements that really worked for me was that sparsely used, what's going on here in that yeah. second person. <laughs> Thanks. Mm-hmm. You know what's, yeah. what's funny? I taught elementary school for 12 years before my first novel came out, uh, Montessori Elementary. And I would read aloud to these kids for half an hour at the end of every day, which that taught me a ton about just, you know, keeping people's attention, earning their attention, because yeah. kids, nine-year-olds will roll around on the floor when they get bored. They, you can see <laughs> the vacant stare, right? But it also taught me about just where to end something that makes people want to come back the next time. Mm. And for these kids, they would get so frustrated with me, but I'd like, it would be the middle of a chapter, you know, I'd be like, he opened the door and there it was. Nice. Okay, well, time to go home. We'll pick up tomorrow. And I'm not doing that, of course. But that was the best literary training I could have received. Just yeah. live audience feedback from people who cannot hide their emotions for 12 years every day. Um, and I do have that sense of like, all right, so like, we're just going to end on this note, but I need to earn it. It's not that I'm, you know, taunting you and it's not like, you know, Oh my God, was that blood right. in the chapter? No, right? no. But, um, but no, no cheap uh, thrills. No cheap thrills. Right, right, yeah. right. But it's I earned. just I have it in mind that I need to earn your your read on the next chapter. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So you on did. the face, people will think that I have some questions for you. Is a departure from your last novel, which was obviously, as I read in the bio, hugely popular critically and commercially, but. All your novels really are quite different in structure, right. tone, and scope. Uh, the Great Believers is an, an expansive dual narrative about the AIDS crisis. The Hundred Year House is a satirical family saga told in reverse. Music for mm-hmm. Wartime is a story collection spanning the realist and the speculative. And The Borrower is a touching story about a librarian and her 10 year old patron. I want to know what is for you, even if it doesn't come that way to readers, what is the common thread in your work? Right. Um, 
I can talk about some of the elements that we can see, um, but I was also wondering if there's like an overarching question that you're trying to mm-hmm. to address and answer and to wrestle with in all of your work. That's a really good question. Um, I do think that all of my books read like me, but yeah, they are not the yeah. same. And um, I think a lot of people know me only from The Great Believers and then they're seeing this very different book and going, wait, what happened? And it's like, no, I do this all the time. Right. <laughs> Don't worry. I'm just, uh, I'm just, yeah. I get bored and I need to move on. But um, I, so thematically, um, I, except for perhaps The Borrower, my first book, I am always dealing with questions of time, the passage of time. Are we the same people we used to be? Um, the great believers asked a lot about what happens to grief and guilt over time. Um, this book is asking questions about, you know, are you the same person? And if you're not, that means the other, this other person, you know, is not the same person they were either. And if they're not the same person, how can you hold them accountable for the ways they hurt you? And I also, you know, there's the time question. I do, no matter how hard I try, I always end up writing about, artists or academics in everything I do. Um, and I always, um, am dealing with, I'm always writing with a sense of both darkness and humor. That's not to say dark humor. Cause I think dark humor is like, Oh, this old lady fell down the stairs. Ha ha ha. It's more that, um, I can't be entirely serious. I can't. Um, I try to write something totally serious and it comes out funny and it can't be entirely funny either because I try to write something humorous and it comes out dark. Mm. So there's always that going on. Yeah. It's dimension. It's human dimension. It's not easy to do, but um, the way it's, it comes across is it's very just, this is a human being. This is a, and a, a lot of human beings and it's just the full humanity spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, I, I tend to write very well populated novels also. Um, not the borrower again, maybe that was my outlier, Mm. but the hundred year house, um, the great believers, and I have some questions for you. They have large casts of characters and it allows me to get at realism. I think in a different way, it allows me to get at the full scope of people of, um, you know, perspective story. I mean, every person has their own point of view, but if you're really telling the whole story, you need that cast of characters. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I needed for the great believers. I needed many different experiences on the AIDS epidemic in the eighties. If I told one story, it would feel like I was saying, this is the one way it happened. Uh, with, with, I have some questions for you. Um, it might even be more thematic, the plurality of, we only really get Bodhi's point of view, Mm -hmm. but this plurality of experience, you thought high school was this way, but someone else saw you this way. Someone else had this completely different experience of the same teacher or the same event. That was, I loved that. And especially about Bodhi herself, like you're saying, she saw herself one way and then Mm -hmm. all these people would be like, oh, I thought you were intimidating or I thought you were this. And, and that happens, you know, that happens in real yeah. life all the time. Someone describes you mm-hmm. to you and you're like, was I like that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But I really, so I want to talk, you know, I have some questions for you. Um, definitely examines the experience of being a young woman in the 1990s um, through the prism of today's post Me Too movement. 
Um, and the book does address these big themes of misogyny and the range of abuse and assault that women face. But what I love, and I, I wrote to Corinne after I finished it, I said this, I'm like, it's just so complicated, though, the way you look at it, which we love. It is so nuanced. Nothing is black and white. You really just raise questions. And, you know, like, mm -hmm. we should believe women, but should we believe mm -hmm. all women? Do we have to believe the woman mm -hmm. accusing Bodhi's husband? She mm -hmm. doesn't really see it that way. Um, you know, can mm -hmm. you be a woman and speak out against other women? Um, and those observations that you make about cancel culture and Twitterverse and, and all of this is so smart, but so nuanced. And that's what we love on here oh, uh, on this you. podcast. And it's just it's I, I'm left like I loved that you covered all of these themes in that kind of way. So why did you want to write about those those sort of big issues? Yeah, well. I, I never want to write about the big issues. Here's the thing. I always sit down and go, this novel is going to be really simple and straightforward. And it's going to be like 120 pages. It's going to have three characters. And they're just going to go chronologically. And that's, and it never comes out that way. Um, oh. But the themes, you know, I, to, I, I don't lead with theme. I really yeah. do lead with story. And theme rises out of story. In the same way that, you know, like you dream, your brain just tells you a story, but then it gets at all the stuff that you're worried about and it tells you, gives you a message or it tells you something you didn't know you knew. Theme works the same way for me. One thing that led me into such complicated themes this time was I really did want to write a realist novel, right? The project here was all right, there are these stories that capture the public imagination, like the young, beautiful girl who's murdered and that everyone wants to know the story. You want to talk about that story? Let's actually tell that story. Let's yeah. actually look at that. Let's look at what this attention does to the family or the case or the witnesses. Let's look at the underbelly of a lot of crime stuff, which is wrongful incarceration. Mm -hmm. Let's actually look at it. And just an attempt to tell that story that way leads me into sociological themes of, say, the carceral system and justice and yeah. all that. But it also leads me into more theme, you know, themey themes, <laughs> psychological themes, <laughs> yeah. um, things like memory. So if I'm going to tell a realist novel, I can't have, and I didn't want to jump back and forth in time, if only because I did that with the great believers. I wanted to do something different. So, if I'm telling a realist story, I can't have the character who is like buttering her toast and has a memory and the memory is 17 pages long, complete chronological order, full detail, and we're supposed to trust it. Right. Because that's not real. It's not the way memory works. So, okay, well, how, how does memory work? <laughs> um, it's really spotty. It's really fallible. It, it falls apart. You start questioning yourself. So that's what we're going to do. And now it's a book about memory just because I was trying to write something realist. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And by putting her back on the campus again, you have, you're rooted in the present day and yet her memories yes. are going to come back to her as they do, as she walks campus, as she meets with her friend. Right. So it feels more like that's actually the way it works. That's what you're saying. Right. This yeah. The thing is, yeah, we don't, we, despite what your yoga instructor wants you to do, we don't live in the present, right? You're constantly, 
right? You're, you're constantly thinking about what happened yesterday or what happened five minutes ago, or you're remembering the beginning of this sentence that I'm saying right now in order for it to make sense to you, right? Um, and you're thinking forward about what you need to do next. We live in time in this very broad way. And certain points we live much more in the past than in the present. But it is not the cinematic Wayne's world like, (laughs) and now we're back. Here's a completely accurate memory. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You didn't let yourself off the hook there. No. Kate, we got to go to the astrology question. Okay. Yeah. Yes. So we talk, we yes, ask so every we ask yeah. every single one of our authors about astrology, but you gave us more than than the average. Kate, she's go ahead. grabbing okay. a book. She's grabbing something. No, I'm grabbing okay. my birth chart. Oh, you see it. Oh, oh my god! I have mine right here too. Chart. I keep it on my desk. Oh, <laughs> I my parents were really, really into astrology, so I have all this stuff. But it's oh in my god, Rebecca. I, I knew I you were going to be a kindred spirit. Yeah. I just knew it. I knew it. Well, I didn't know you'd have your birth chart handy. I mean, now right. you're just taking it to the next level. Next level. But next level. Next level. But you, so we do this, okay? We're. I don't even think we can call it a side interest anymore. It's kind of an obsession. We are both use astrology as a tool. We're, we love yeah. to talk to all our authors about it. Um, but... Every once in a while, someone gives us something that gives us a whole new rabbit hole to go down. And you did this in your book. You talked about, you had a couple astrology references, but the one that really hit me was this Uranus opposition. Oh. (laughs) You have a part, which I will read, where Bodhi says, "My my friend Elise, who loves astrology, told me I'd probably experienced my Uranus opposition. It happened to everyone in their early 40s. She said, a huge shakeup, a burn it all down time, voluntary or involuntary, that rearranges someone's life. And I'm like, what mm-hmm. is that? Mm-hmm. I Googled it. Black yeah. hole I went down. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So- <laughs> we're, we're trading. She and I are trading links back and forth. And oh, my I, God. So I am well versed in Saturn's return, which yes. I, that's 27, where basically right. it's sort of similar idea. And for me, my Saturn's return was a big deal. It really changed my whole life, upended my identity, everything. And this one, uh, we looked up when it happened for us. And it didn't really, I was like, no, that wasn't really, like, wasn't a thing for me. And then I looked up mm-hmm. the placement and the house. And mm-hmm. it was so, like, that part of my life got a complete... Uh-huh complete burn it down, make it new for my whole life. So yeah. my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. So what, is your, yeah. what is your relationship with astrology? Tell us. Okay. Okay. So yeah. So my parents were both linguistics professors, okay. but they, I say were, my dad has passed away. My mom's alive. Um, although they have not been married for many presidential administrations, but um <laughs> Uh, they were also both very into astrology, like went to, you know, very well educated and it would go to these astrological society meetings in Chicago. And like this guy who turns out to be like the, like the major was like the major living, you know, astrology guy. I grew up calling him uncle. Um, so we like, I have this very back and forth where I'm like, you know, I don't know. I, um, I love it. 
Um, I found that because my mom will still do like um, transits and progressions for me. So like stuff that's happening now um, and I'll still absolutely like if I get the pub date of my book, I'm like, okay, tell me, you know, Um, or if I'm going through something rough or just like tell me the big things this year. And I found them to be like stunningly accurate, um, including things where I'm like, well, that doesn't make sense. And then later I'm like, oh, Oh. duh, that's what, okay. Um, And so not like a self-fulfilling prophecy, like, uh, okay, yes, very funny. I get it, you know. Um, But uh, yeah, it's not, you know, I also, you know, what I'll say to friends who are very not into this is like, okay, cool, but it doesn't cost me anything. Right. I'm not like tithing some church. I don't have to go anywhere. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to judge anybody. And I do think that it, that way of thinking, um, about the core tenets of who someone is, the tensions inside of them. I think that makes me a better writer. And I think it it helps me to understand the kinds of things people might go through. Um, I will tell you, I changed Yale, my, my main character in The Great Believers, but changed his birthday because I had just kind of casually, someone was like, oh, your birthday later this summer, whatever. And then I was going through and I was like, he's not a Leo. Are you out of your mind? That's not. So I moved his birthday to make him a probably a Taurus because I said, I said May and he's not a Gemini. So um, I, uh, that, so great. I really, yeah. and it's like, you know, nobody's going to notice, but I care. <laughs> I and you're a Taurus. We should have said that. I am a Taurus. Never even got that out. Right, yes, Taurus sun. I but I know you. You know moon sign. What is oh, your yeah. moon and rising? Yeah, I'm yeah. Libra moon and Scorpio rising. Oh my ah. gosh, I love it. Which is yeah, it's a nice balance. The Scorpio rising makes people think I'm a little more intense than I actually am. Um, mm. Like I come off. You present yeah, like that I talk way yeah. fast and stuff, and I, yeah, but I'm I'm <laughs> actually very chill. I just seem yeah. intense because I talk really fast. <laughs> That's so funny. You know, Taurus are are one of the the signs that are least likely to believe, but you had no choice in astrology. (laughs) That's the thing. I was choice with your parents. (laughs) Yeah. No, it is really funny when someone's like, you know, I don't believe any of that. And you're like, yeah, that's exactly what an Aries would say. Like, (laughs) there are certain ones where it's like, (laughs) yeah, Yeah. you're like, uh huh. I know exactly. The other thing is, like you said, it doesn't cost you anything to to believe and to investigate and to think about this. It also, you don't right. have to throw away logic or or no. you don't have to hole up in your house because of some transit. You just move with yeah. a different perspective in your mind. Like maybe everything yeah. is going wrong because Mercury is in retrograde. And that doesn't mean I shut down and – but just I, I don't blame myself yeah. maybe. I don't blame – I'm kinder to my partner. Whatever it is, you can yeah. have that perspective. And that this is going to pass at some point yeah. or like that this, there's something, you know, what is the thing I'm supposed to learn from this is another big, t- big yes. kind of yeah. part of the thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm not like running out and buying a lottery ticket on a certain day or like right. avoiding yeah. whatever on a certain day. Cause it's like, well, if you had something that was like made you accident prone and you stayed home, you're just going to fall in the shower anyway. So right. just yeah. like live yeah. your life. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, yes. for us, yeah. it really is just a tool to understand ourselves better and understand other yeah. people better. I mean, and not to categorize or put people in boxes. And actually the more you know about it, as you know, the more it's not just your sun sign. So we're like, we're not trying yeah. to box you into, oh, you're a this, you're a that. Oh, it's no, very, no. It's very no. complicated. Yeah. 
It is. Yeah, yeah. No, people... Yeah, I think I think people's initial understanding is this very simplistic, like, but I'm not like that. And like, well, that's you read one thing one time. Yes. I'm so glad you guys asked me about this. This is really fun to talk about. Yes, so fun. And I, by the way, love your newsletter. And the first indication I had before I even had a copy of the book was you said, apparently, my book is an Aquarius. And I was like, Oh, this is going to be a good (laughs) fit. That's right. Well, while we wrap up, we have another minute. Uh, just we love to ask what you're loving right now. Any yeah. podcasts or TV shows, movies, books, anything you want to share? We'd Ooh. love to hear. Well, on the true crime front, I just the the Murdoch murder thing. Oh, I yeah. just watched the Netflix. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's maybe not as like loopy and intriguing as some things that you get into because it's like, well, I think it's pretty clear what happened here. But it's still it's still fascinating. Just that cultural thing is fascinating. Like yeah. who are these people? Whew. Um so I'm into that. I'm also I'm reading a ton of books in translation. I'm doing this project of reading my way around the world, amazing race style in translation. If people are interested, my I'm doing that on Twitter and on my Substack and and things like that, like talking about it. And yeah. um, my latest guilty pleasure is the show You with Penn Badgley. Oh. He's like this psychopath. Oh, we, we, it's, we, we've covered you. Know, you. Yes. Yeah. Oh my god. Uh-huh. Um, it's been interesting to think about the second person use because I've been asked been asked so much about the second person in my novel, and it's mm-hmm. it's an interesting corollary, just the kind of thinking everything at one person. But yes. hopefully in a less uh, serial killer kind of way on Billy's part. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Well, thanks so much for taking time to chat with us today. Yes. I have some questions Thank for you. you. Is out now. We both absolutely love this book and just had so many offline questions about astrology and also about so many uh-huh. of the other things in the book. So thank you for that. Thank you. I really appreciate you. it. This has been Pop Fiction Women with Corinne and Kate. If you enjoyed this show, please tell the complicated women in your life. And the men who love them. Yes, tell them to listen. And then to follow on Spotify or review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And of course, share on social media. Tag us with your favorite books, TV shows, and movies starring complicated women on Facebook and Instagram at Pop Fiction Women or on Twitter at pop underscore women. For more coverage of the women you love or to find out if you qualify as a complicated woman, go to popfictionwomen.com. And keep it complicated.